Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. So as we get ready to jump into Luke 7, 47 through 50, um, I just, I want to share with you what I've, what I've titled this sermon today, and it's Welcomed at the Table. Welcomed at the Table. So if you would join me and read with me, uh, some of the verses are going to come up, not everything, but some of them. But we're going to start in verse 47, and it starts this way. It says, and I'm reading out of the ESV. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he, Jesus, said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That is the word of God. Pray with me. God, I thank you that you've allowed me this opportunity. I pray that I would remove myself, that you would speak through me, that you would be the focal point, that what you want to say and what you want to communicate would be given to your people here today. Would you be with us today in the preaching of your word, God? I ask this in the name of Jesus, and we say amen. Family, have you, have you ever been familiar with love? I'm going to answer for you. You have. I'm going to tell you a story when I was a kid. I, when I was six years old, I broke my right arm. My mother, uh, she, she kind of managed these like apartment buildings. And I grew up in a time where my mom could leave and the other mothers of the community would watch me like if they were my mother. And so I have two older brothers, uh, my middle brother, Angel, he's, I'm Puerto Rican, y'all, so I'm going to just let you guys on a, on a side note. My brother, Angel's like extremely pale. I'm the baby. I'm like Olive. And then my older brother, Hector, he's a dark-skinned Puerto Rican. So we kind of make a little blend. Like it, it, we, we don't necessarily look like brothers all the time. But when I was six years old, I had been ditched by my brothers to go and play outside, and they left me, and I couldn't find them. So I found some other friends, got into some mischief of my own that led to me falling and breaking my arm. I did not know what happened. I got up. I kept walking. I I went to go get some water, and one of the mothers in the community saw me and said, Ramon, take a deep breath. I need you to sit here. I didn't understand what was going on. I thought I was in trouble. She caused the ambulance. Ambulance comes, and it's a show. Ambulance comes, they pick me up, they put me in the ambulance. They're tending to this kid with a broken arm, and my older brother hears, because he's somewhere around, hey, your little brother broke his arm. Now, mind you, my older brother is much taller than me, so when he was about 11 years old, he was about 5'10", I mean, a big kid, like, you know, head, shoulders over every other kid his age. And so when he hears this, he runs to the ambulance. And he gets there, and he's stopped by an EMT, and he says, no, 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 what are you doing? He goes, that's my little brother. He says, no, dude, you can't come this way. And my brother, at 11 years old, had the ability to push this grown man 
to make his way into an ambulance because of his little brother. And when they realized that, yes, he was my older brother, they allowed him to stay. But if you're familiar with love, you'll understand that love will move you. Love will get you to a place to risk things. You will put yourself in a position that may not be favorable because of love. Because of that little brother inside of my brother risked his safety to get to me. And I want to start in a story that really highlights a love that risked it all. And so if you want to follow me, I'm going to be in Luke 36 or 7, 36 through 50. And maybe you're familiar with this, but this is the story of the sinful woman in Jesus. And so this story starts in a really intriguing way because Jesus is invited to the house of a Pharisee, this religious leader, and they do not have a good relationship, y'all. Like if you got invited, this is one of those invitations where you like smile, like, oh, thank you. You walk away like, why would they invite me? It's one of those invitations you're not flattered in receiving. They did not have a good relationship, but this Pharisee, Simon invites Jesus to dinner. And if, if, if I can give you kind of a little history lesson, the table was a very intimate place. You would get to know a lot about a person at a dinner table. And if you don't know that, try it now. Invite somebody to your dinner table. You'll get to learn a lot about them. And in that same way, in, the, in those customs, this dinner table invitation was very intimate. And so it went around town that Jesus was going to be in the house of this Pharisee. But Jesus' re reputation preceded him. There was a lot of things being said about Jesus. Jesus was the man that sat with tax collectors, the lowliest of people. Jesus was the man that uh, healed those that had ailments that could not be healed. This man, Jesus, had a reputation like no other. And now he was sitting at the table of a Pharisee. The group of people that he has been colliding, uh, clashing and colliding with the whole time. And somebody gets word. This woman, this woman in a very desperate, low place gets word that this Jesus is sitting at the table. Now, this woman would not have been invited. This woman would have no place at that dinner table. Now, women at the time could walk in and host and, and take care of things, but because of her reputation, they say that she was known throughout a, out the city as a sinner. And if we want to dig a little deeper, that means she was a woman of the night. She gave of her body. This was no average sin, y'all. This was something that labeled and stained her. And so this woman now hears word that Jesus is at this table and she gathers what she has. I could imagine she, she's gathering the little bit of dignity that she has left. And she runs and she looks and she gathers this jar, this, this flask of alabaster ointment. This was a costly perfume. So it wasn't like she was at this place where she had nothing. No, she was actually good at what she did. Because she had means to buy a perfume that was worth a year's wage. So don't get me wrong. She was well into her sin. But it's not that she had nothing. She had something. 
of material, but she knew she had nothing at heart. And so as she gathers what she has, she makes her way into this room. And at the table, she finds Jesus and Simon and all these other people that are crowded there. And as she walks in, I could imagine her heart starts beating. (sighs) Breaths become harder. Eyes begin to swell with tears. She's holding them back, but every step it becomes harder and harder to the point that she gets to Jesus. And I could imagine every eye is on her in the room. Probably a look of disgust. Who, who is this woman that's here? Who is this sinful woman that is here? And so as she's there, she gets to Jesus and her tears begin to flow. And she uses her tears to wash the feet of Jesus. And then she takes her hair. Now, mind you, hair was a symbol of beauty. So she takes what the world would say is her beauty, and she begins to dry his feet. She takes her hair and dries his feet, and then she begins to kiss his feet. And as she's kissing his feet, she begins to grab the ointment, and she's pouring it on his feet now. Family, I want to tell you that this woman was moved by love. She knew who that man at the table was. She knew who Jesus was. She had a right view of Jesus. And she gave everything. She risked it all. The little bit of dignity she had and all the material possessions she could find, she gave it all. Her response of tears that flowed down were signs of repentance. She knew what she had done was wrong and she needed a savior. She knew that anything that she could give to him was worth it because what he had to offer was much better. She gave her beauty. She met him and kissed his feet, which which is a, a cultural sign of gratitude, saying, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing for me. And she begins to anoint his feet And that is a sign that she is readying him for a a place of honor. She's readying him for a place of honor. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But she's foreshadowing what Jesus will step into, this thing called the cross. She recognizes that he is the Savior. I want to tell you that this woman had a right view of God. And as they're there and she is pouring herself out and eyes are on them, you could imagine that in the corner, here goes Simon. Because whenever something good is happening, I promise you there's a hater somewhere, right? You know it. And so Simon's in the corner and whispering to himself, he says, if this man is who he says he is, then he would know who that woman is and and who's actually touching him. Now, mind you, the Bible records that he is saying this to himself. We're going to talk about Simon in a second, but he's feeling some type of way. If this man, Jesus, knew, if he was really a prophet, he would know who's there. And Jesus, being who he is, doesn't need Simon to tell him or ask him or say anything. Jesus actually responds to him and says, hey, Simon, can I tell you something? Simon says, go ahead, teacher. Oh, that's, what a hypocrisy, right? 
It's like if this guy knew who, can I tell you? Yes, teacher, how, how, sure, go ahead. That's, you know those haters. You know those type of people, unfortunately. And he finds himself there. And Jesus is asking him, can I tell you something? And he responds, yes, teacher. He says, let me tell you a story. He says, there was a certain money lender. That means somebody that gave loans, right? There was a certain money lender, and he had two people that were in debt to him. One who owed uh, a lot and one who owed a little. In the story, it says 500 denarii, 50 denarii to the other. Just a lot and a little. And he says, when they could not pay, Simon, that debtor or that lender forgives their debt. Jesus says, Simon, let me ask you a question. Who that has been given, forgiven their debt loves more? And Simon, being the smart Pharisee that he is, didn't take him much time to say, well, the one who was forgiven much. And Jesus was like, you're right. Now, Simon, being a religious leader, he was a good guy, y'all. Simon had it put together. He was the kid that always showed up to school. He always got A's. He got the rewards and, and, and the awards at the ceremonies at the end. He was the kid in high school that was voted most likely to succeed. He was that kid that when you talked to him, he just always seemed to have it together. This is Simon. Didn't disrespect his parents. Was always on time to things. He worked diligently. Simon was a guy that when you met him, you were like, that's a good guy. But when we look at this story, Jesus is contrasting something. And in this story that he is telling Simon right now, I guarantee you that Simon doesn't think of himself as a debtor in that story. If you would ask Simon, hey, do you see yourself in this story? He'd probably be like, well, I'm next to the money lender probably. I'm probably the money lender. Simon has forgot that he too is a debtor. But this woman, this woman known throughout the city as a sinner, she knew who she was. She knew that she had great debt, that she could not pay. And that led her to having a right view of God and having a right view of herself. Listen, my, our pastors left, but they left me keys, okay? They left me keys into your house. And so I'm going to step into your kitchen, as they would say. Follow me. There is, there is something happening here. There is a contrast that this good man, that on paper, sitting at the table, Simon, I, I believe we live in a culture that would probably step into that room and look at the table and say, let me go sit next to Simon, not Jesus. That guy got it together. That guy's putting on something that's of value. While Jesus sits in the corner, treated like a commoner. I'm going to tell you, that man, Jesus, is no commoner family. And so as he asked Simon rhetorically, who would love more? Notice how he doesn't say, uh, what should they do? 
Both debtors are responsible for loving the one that has forgiven their debt. But who loves more? Simon responding, the one that's been forgiven much. And so we find ourselves in in the story, and I want to pick up their words so that that we are clear. Jesus answers them and says, you're right. I got to make a note because there's something real, real awesome in this story that needs to be highlighted, especially in our culture. Um, this is just like a PSA. Uh, Jesus is interacting with a woman. And he is about to make this woman an example. And a world that lowers the standard or tries to divide and say, men here, women here, I need you to know that your God, Jesus, loves you and cares about you and does not see you less than. Because what he's about to do is such a bold interaction. He looks at this religious man and says, you're right. Turning to the woman, talking to Simon still, says, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I walked into your house and you gave me nothing for my feet. While she washed my feet with her tears. I walked in and you didn't even kiss me. You didn't greet me. But this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. You have not given me any ointment. You have not recognized who I am. While this woman has poured expensive ointment on my feet. The woman that wasn't welcomed at the table now becomes the example of the host. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, we're we're gonna get there. We're, we're, we're going somewhere with this right now. This woman, now the example in a home that she wasn't welcome in, versus the man that should have been the proper host, treating God in the flesh as a common person. I hope in your heart there is some swelling up that's saying, How dare he? How dare this man, how dare this judgment take place? As he addresses him and shows him the contrast between him and her, Jesus makes it very clear in verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, God did not, did not, just bypass her sins. God knew her sins and God still met her there. I don't know about y'all. I need to know that. I need to know that there is such a deep, dark space in me that even in that place, I cannot bypass God. That I can't run far enough from him where he says, no, you're no longer worth the pursuit. Jesus was very aware of who this woman was. And he met her there. And he let her know, your sins are forgiven. Because she has loved much. Family, can I remind you, she knew who Jesus was. She knew who she was. And it leads to this right relationship with God. This right relationship with God where she is now forgiven of sin. She is now pardoned. The woman, oh, family, 
hear me. If you take something home, take this, okay? She walked into the room as a sinner. And she left the room as the woman who loved much. Where I come from, people would be shouting, y'all. <laughs> that, like, that's, man, that is some space to thank God. There is a space where you can look at your, and that might be one of the reasons why we struggle to identify and really look at ourselves and get real with our sins because if he knew he wouldn't love me, if he knew I wouldn't belong, but if I can show you anything in this passage, Jesus was well aware of this woman and her sins and her shortcomings and her falls, and he still welcomed her at the table. He saw her sin. He was, man, this is biblical compassion. If you need a biblical understanding of compassion, it's not just understanding someone's struggle, but it's seeing their struggle, letting them know you see it, and elevating them. That is a biblical view of compassion as we see Jesus interacting with this woman. He recognizes her sin. He uh, lets her know that she is still loved, that she is welcomed. And then in front of the, the, the ones of power in society, he elevates her and says, this woman, this woman has been the host, not you. Jesus is not soft, y'all. Jesus doesn't mince words. He doesn't hold back. So if this is a little bit much, I'm just reading what Jesus did. <laughs> All right? And so he steps into this place and he builds and he shows us what biblical compassion looks like. And he begins to change the identity of this woman from a sinner to one who loved much. I could imagine this is really festering inside of Simon. Her? I do good deeds. I have my life put together. I've had a plan since I was little, and I followed that plan. My parents love me because I've done nothing wrong. My, my finances look great. My future is bright. It is me, me and her. She's your example now. I could imagine the space that Simon is finding himself. I have held it together. I have put something good together, and now she becomes the example over me. Better yet, my friend, in your own house. Talk about some embarrassment. In your own house, right? Like if I did something in somebody else's house, my mother would, would have a stern word. If I did it in my house with Kestover, y'all might see a different side of my mother. In his own house. And so he finds this space where Jesus is ensuring this elevation of this woman. He wants to make it clear who is the example here. Who is the one that needs to be celebrated? He says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. We're going to step into a real space in, in a second. And he says to her, your sins are forgiven. This, this response of love towards our God, this man who is committed to this life of religion, 
law-keeping. Man, I am hearing the, the echoes of, of Psalm 149, where the psalm writer says, the Lord takes pleasure in his people, and he adorns the humble with salvation. Oh, he saves the humble. Yet this man in the room, he's the one that's supposed to be right. He's the religious leader. He's the one committed to this. He's the one that knows the law. But what man does with their own hands will never be good enough to save them. That's just a hard truth. Simon has worked his whole life to present himself before God and say, here I am. But when we think of Romans 8, we understand that there is a righteous requirement that the law demands. And that only Jesus was good enough to meet that requirement. Simon was a self-salvation plan. Simon was getting it together good enough so that he can stand before God and say, here I am, I deserve to be in there, let me in. Simon did not know who he was. He forgot that he was a debtor. Or this woman, broken. Definitely didn't have the understanding nor the training of this religious, righteous, self-righteous man. Found herself running to the feet of Jesus and giving everything that she had because she had a right view of God and a right view of herself, which led to a right relationship with God. She is now forgiven of her sins. Her identity is now changed. She's no longer the woman of sin. She's now becoming the woman that, that show enough showed out Simon like in his own house. People are going to be talking about this. She went from sinner to the one who showed much love. Your sins are forgiven. Simon didn't hear that, but yet this woman did. Your sins are forgiven. Simon, in your good efforts, in putting it all together, you will never hear on your own, your sins are forgiven. And before we get upset with Simon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a hard truth. I think we lean towards Simon more than we know. We lean and are like Simon more than we know most times. Simon went to church. Simon had it together. Yet he did not hear, your sins are forgiven. When we get to 48, and 49, he says, her sins are forgiven. And the, mind you, this is all happening at a table. So the people at the table are like, okay, enough. Who, who is this man? Who is this man that could even forgive sins? And that time people knew this. It, it wasn't this big level of spirituality where there wasn't this common understanding. They knew that sin was a plague to all of humanity and there was a certain way you had to get rid of it through sacrifice. You had to uh, make a propitiation. You had to give some type of satisfaction to that sin so that God's wrath would be satisfied. This woman, this commoner, she knew 
who he was. These people who were so familiar with the religious circle and the religious things had no idea who this man Jesus was, that they would question, who is this man that could forgive sins? While the woman, the sinner, that they wouldn't have allowed in the room knew that this was the man that would save her. The man that would, or, or the God that would put on human flesh and come down to satisfy that righteous law, that righteous requirement of the law. Because you and I cannot do that. Nobody in this room, not Simon and his good deeds, could ever feel that righteous requirement of the law. So God, in his full love, puts on human flesh. And Jesus wasn't quiet about that, y'all. Jesus made it very clear, I am here to preach the good news. That news that they, the reason why they had had rebuttals and arguments with the Pharisees was because if you read the beginning all all the way up to chapter 7, Jesus was not quiet about that. I am the one that comes to lead you to the kingdom of God. I come preaching to repent and believe. I am the one that will come to save my people. The religious would have known about Moses and the history there. Jesus was saying, I'm the real Moses. I'm the one that's coming. You guys have been waiting for a savior, and I am he. This woman knew that he would be the sacrifice. That as he put on human flesh, he would live the life that she could not live, and Simon in all his goodness could not live. He would live that perfect life. And with a heart filled of love would go to a cross for you and I, those people that have done the wrongdoings, and die the death that we deserve. Oh, this woman knew that this is the man that would go to the cross for her sake. That this is God in the flesh. And that he would rise from the dead and give, with power, give us the ability to have reconciliation with God. That we could have relationship with God. That we could have adoption and be considered sons and daughters of God. This sinful woman knew who that Jesus was. She knew what he came, what he promised. She believed. How do we know she believed? Because she loved much. And Jesus says something profound. He he closes this all out and looks at her. He says, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We're going to park there. I'm going to start wrapping this up. Her faith, her trust and pursuit. If I can give two elements of faith, it is trust and pursuit. Her trust of who Jesus was and her pursuit after Jesus has saved her. Not Simon's right doing, not Simon's well put together life. None of that saved him. But this woman's trust and pursuit has saved her. And this woman is told to go in peace. Jesus is offering an assurance your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. That, her faith was in something so unmovable that she could walk out the room not caring no longer what they thought of her, but knowing that she was in right relationship with her God. Oh, 
church, if there is anything I want to give you, it's this. When you have a right view of God and a right view of yourself, it will lead to a right relationship with God. That's what this story is saying. When you have a right view of God and a right view of yourself, it will lead to a right relationship with him. Simon was definitely the religious dude. And in the face of Jesus, missed it completely. He sat at the table with God himself and treated him like a commoner. We have this bad habit as humans because of sin where we put our faith in the wrong things. So what does this mean for you today, family? This means I got to do some heart checking. What have I put my faith in that is not God and God alone? Can we be honest? Have I put my faith in my bank account? Well, that looks good right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. I've, I've put my faith in my career path. I'm on a good track. People are aware of it. I am good there. I have put my faith in my family. I, I'm, I'm, they're growing. It's getting bigger. It's looking great. It's, this is what I want. I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of Christianity has been mixed in with the American dream, and that is far from the gospel truth. So we have a tendency, whether we know it or not, to misplace our faith in things. And that's why we stand in the space of one of the most anxious, depressed anxiety-written time. Because what we have placed our faith in cannot look at us in the face and say, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Family, I pray that you sit in this and take this and ask yourself the hard question, where have I misplaced my faith? Where are the spaces that I have put it that it does not belong? I want to encourage you not to be like Simon that has it all together, but be like this lowly woman who takes everything that she has in the littlest of spaces, in the littlest of her understanding, has a right view of God, and a right view of herself leading to a right relationship with him. May this encourage you. May this challenge you throughout the week. And I pray that this be a moment in time where God did work in your heart to realize the things that you have wrongfully placed your faith in. Let us move it and place it on Jesus, the one that looks at us and tells us, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time where we can be in your word and be encouraged and be reminded that we miss it at times. And in the story of life, we tend to write ourselves much better than we are. But may we be encouraged in knowing that you are not a God that came for those that are healthy, but you came for the sick. 
God, we don't have to act like we have it together because you are a God that knows our sin all too well and went to the cross for it. God, help us have a right view of you. Help us have a right view of ourselves so that by your grace, we can have a right relationship with you, Father. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. And your church says, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.